Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we have a very bizarre story from Zimbabwe, as four Ghanaian players were stuck in the country for six months after being allegedly deceived by two officials that they were going to sign for a newly formed club in Division One and earn ten thousand dollars a month. Well, the club doesn't exist, and the players couldn't go back home because of the lockdown. We had so many aspirations when we were coming here, but it's rather unfortunate we had to fall in the hands of bad people. That's coming up shortly. Plus, lots on the English Premier League. Goals galore on match day two, but controversy over handball and video assistant referee two. Well, first, exciting to see Senegal goalkeeper Edouard Mendy joining Chelsea from Rennes in France on a five-year deal.、Uh, Mendy is 28. African keepers have really struggled to make it at the highest level, but Cameroon's Andre Onana has done well at Ajax in the Netherlands, especially in the Champions League the season before last. So, hopefully, Mendy can get a chance at Chelsea. Well, now then, to a very unusual story from here in Zimbabwe. Four Ghanaian players were stuck in the country for more than six months after being allegedly deceived by two officials that they were going to sign for a newly formed club in Division One and earn ten thousand dollars a month. The four players, Peter Tibila, Francis Ajete, John Adupoku, and Nelson Adenio, came to Zimbabwe in February, having been advised by officials Energy Zava and Tinashe Gom. That they would sign for a club called Kaya Africa in Chiredzi, in the southeast of the country. Well, the club doesn't actually exist, according to the Zimbabwe Football Association.、Uh, the players lost out as they paid $1,300 each to the officials for travel and work permits, although they were promised as much as $10,000 a month in salaries and $15,000 in signing-on fees. Well, in the end, they were stranded in Chiredzi, and Division One club Lovell Pirates took them in and looked after them. There was further drama as the players got in trouble with Zimbabwe's immigration authorities for overstaying their visas, even though they were unable to go home because of the lockdown. Well, the players were finally able to return to Ghana last week after the Footballers' Union of Zimbabwe and the Zimbabwe Football Association intervened. The two officials, Energy Zava and Tinashe Gomba, were suspended from all football activity for five years by the Zimbabwe FA in order to reimburse the players the money that they took. We were unable to contact the two officials for their side of the story, but my colleague Ash Tikiwa spoke to three of the players just before they went back home. That's Peter Tibila, Francis Ajate, and Nelson Adenio. As a footballer, we all have、uh, maybe an agent who is actually looking for a team for us, and、uh, I'm being represented by an agent in、uh, Cameroon who was linked to Zava, who was linked to Gomba here in Zimbabwe. So he actually informed the agent that he has a team here, which is very moneyed.、Uh, the signing on fee is like ten thousand to fifteen thousand. They said it's a new team. Yes. Yes.、Uh-huh. So. Uh, as he's the agent representing me, he thought it wise that you know, it's, a, it's, it's a good offer, so I need to come. I said, okay, why not? So I even went, found no details, no information. 
So the only thing that I found is the number of Gomba and Zava. So I communicated with them through WhatsApp and they responded that yes, they are administrator and also the club chairman. So and that is how come we all came here knowing that okay it's a new team probably they are now getting their staffs together so when we go here and we, we saw that no there was nothing like kaya they were actually using another team which is the lovell right from 15th of march or whatsoever we've not seen gumba again but uh, zava lives with us but we see him he sees us nothing uh, he don't care about us we are minding our business so that is how we've been living over there. We had so many aspirations when we were coming here, but it's rather unfortunate we had to fall in the hands of bad people. But not forgetting that as we were in Chirezi, uh, there are also good people there who exactly. took care of us, especially the team over there, which is Lovewood United. We just want to Martinari, say a very, the Martinari family. family. Uh, we just want to say we that are uh, we are grateful for being there for us all along. Even though there was no football, we hadn't signed any contract with them. They were still supporting, supporting us, us in a way. Supporting yeah. us in a way. We can't complain much. You know, the aspirations that we had, the kind of promises that yeah. we, were pr we were promised, then we got here. It was a different thing. So even though we're actually receiving a little, it is more than enough. Yeah. Because and we were uh, willing to help the club. Not because of, uh, because of this COVID, we couldn't. We are grateful to God. Everyone who helped us till now, we are grateful. God bless Zimbabwe. Yeah, what do you learn from such? I mean, what do you have to do next, you know, when future deals may come up? What we we'll do is, God willing, maybe if they are about to start the league, then maybe you get a good offer. Why not? Uh -huh. We'll come back. They say Ghana is better in terms of football. Why are you coming all the way here? Yeah, it's all about money. Yeah, let, me negotiation. Say, uh, let me say, Ghana, there are a lot of players there. Talent. Here is a shortcut to make it uh -huh. to Europe or maybe SA. Uh -huh. If like we were lucky, just a season, yeah. we just pass through here to Europe or, to Europe or South Africa. Yeah, so I just say to we're not and lucky. We can blow our horns. You can uh, verify from the Chirezi town what the impact or when they saw us playing, everyone will witness that ah, these guys are super players. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I won't talk much about our performance. Uh -huh. You can check over there. Sum up Zimbabwe, your experience here and the people you've met, the bad country. and the yeah, good. Like it's a super country. Zimbabwe, Hospitality yeah, number one. It's a peaceful Seriously. country. <laughs> exactly when they get to know that you're a foreigner, they want to know like where are you from? Yeah. What are you doing? Are you learning the language Shona? No, so, <laughs> what did you learn for sure? You can greet us. Mamukase. Tamuka Mamukase. <laughs> Learning a bit of the language, that's the Shona greeting here in the morning. That's Peter Tibila, Francis Ajate and Nelson Adenio speaking to my colleague Ash Tikiwa here in Harare. So, as I say, we were unable to contact the two officials for their side of the story, but they were suspended from all football activity for five years by the Zimbabwe FA in order to pay back the players the money that they allegedly took from them. Uh, well, what a story, Ida. Promised salaries of $10,000 a month at a club that doesn't exist, paying $1,300 each to the officials for travel and work permits, and then unable to go home because of the lockdown, nearly going to prison for overstaying their visas, even though there was no way of getting back to Ghana, and then saying that they really enjoyed their time here in Zimbabwe. You couldn't have made this one up, could you? 
You really couldn't. It's honestly such a bizarre story, this one, Steve. I mean, <laughs> just when you think nothing more could go wrong, it does. And I think it speaks to a lot, you know, and uh, the desperation especially. I mean, people out here, Steve, are really trying to make it. And sometimes the ambition can blind someone to the reality. And, well, it would be easy, you know, to say that they should have done more research and that maybe that would have saved them the thousands of dollars and even more importantly, all that time. But it's also hard to know just how deep the lie really went. And it seems it's now a blame game between the parties involved with uh, reports that the bogus Cameroon agent who started this entire mess is now blaming Gomba one of the officials who the players say took off and really hasn't been seen for some time. It would be funny (laughs) if it also wasn't just so unfortunate, you know. And the thing is, Steve, that it's not the first time in 2020 that we're seeing a story of Ghanaian players getting stranded. Remember the post uh, that went viral in June of Ghanaian players begging to go back home? They were stranded in Ethiopia during the pandemic, and there were over 20 players, Steve, living in terribly bad conditions after the Ethiopian Football Federation prematurely cancelled the season. And there was also the case of the Ghanaian footballers who were stuck in India for five months with little food, practically no money, and they were sleeping in the airport. That was uh, before a kind Samaritan helped them get back home. So one can only wonder, Steve, if all this is just a case of bad coincidence, of course, due to the pandemic, or is there something more? Yes, as you say, ambition, or even that ambition turning into desperation. One thing I thought was really interesting there was the strategy of these players. They feel there are too many good players in Ghana, so it's hard to get noticed there. So they thought maybe they could shine in Zimbabwe and then perhaps get a chance to go to Europe or maybe get a chance to go from Zimbabwe to South Africa and then perhaps on to Europe. Well, there could be some logic there, Ida. I found it interesting as well. One of the players there even saying that, look, Zimbabwe pretty much offered a shortcut to possibly getting them into Europe. Because, Steve, as you've put it, whereas their talent might be diluted or even lost in Ghana, it really stands out, as you've heard them say, in Zimbabwe. But I think, as the story has also shown, there really isn't a shortcut to success. And there are lots of West African players playing in East Africa who might be employing the same strategy, I mean, who knows at this rate. But another possible route into Europe, Steve, is through Asia. I mean, over the last decade or two, we've really seen Asia emerge as a destination and also because of the big, big money. And I'll give an example of Kenya's Michael Olunga, who many argue is, you know, English Premier League minimum championship material. And he left Spain, was playing in the Liga at some point, to go play in Japan as he bides his time into England, hopefully, and in the process makes loads of cash as well. So you see two birds, one stone. But Steve, the race to get into Europe, and especially for African players, is a vicious, vicious journey. And don't let the nice, glossy pictures fool anyone. It's never easy. Even for those who make it to the very top, they go through a lot. 
But going back to the Ghana players in Zimbabwe, well, it's good to see their positive attitude outweighing everything <laughs> and that a bad experience hasn't put them off from chasing their dream. But certainly, Steve, unconventional times call for unconventional measures. <laughs> Yes, the desire is certainly there, but as you say, it's not easy to fulfil that dream of making it in Europe. But all the best to them as they try. Thanks, Ida. Still to come, Stuart on the English Premier League, as there's talk of offside decisions being referred to computers. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. You can also listen to the show on our New Look website, that's planetsport.tv, and you can read interviews there with various sports stars, including Ghana's Christian Achu and Zambia's Patson Daka. And there are pictures and profiles of all of us in the About Us section, that's on our website, planetsport.tv. Well, to social media now, and on last week's show we had an interview with Nigeria international defender Tyrone Ebuehi, who's ready to come back after two years out with a serious knee injury. Ebuehi says that his mental attitude helped him as he was in Portugal and feeling alone, and that he found strength in God and through his family. So last week we asked, how do you find strength in tough times in life? Here with your comments is Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu. Thanks, Steve. And we start today on Facebook. And uh, Chimwenwe Kwali Mpamanda in Malawi says, I find strength in God, my family, parents, brothers and sisters, and my true brothers in the Lord. They give me the impression that I am indeed needed and that I can make it through. Turning now to WhatsApp and John Mono in Zambia says, Well, to me, it seems we all have different reactions to situations that befall us. A key in overcoming difficult situation is one's mental attitude. Looking at things from a positive angle helps to overcome such tough situations. Also, doing away with the mentality of defeat is another way I try to overcome difficult situations, says John. Medlove in the Gambia says, I find my strength in tough times in the word of God, the Holy Bible. In the book of James, chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Momodu Turai, also in the Gambia, also finds help in his faith. I find my strength in tough times only in Allah, he says. Frida Vihenda Okachi in Kenya has three ways to combat tough times. First, a powerful positive attitude towards the situation and accepting the reality of things which are beyond my control, says Frida. Secondly, I believe prayers do wonders and can turn anything and everything from negative to positive. And thirdly, I ask for help from friends and those who can help me during the tough times. Mwilinga, my Mbolwa in Zambia, has a very similar outlook. For me, when tough times arise, I face them head on, seek advice from elders and engage in prayer, says Mwilinga. One thing is for sure, tough times do not last, but tough people do. Uh, to Malawi now, and Francisco Dodoma says, I find that family, friends, church, and other peers can help me. However, it's not easy to make it through the tough times. 
And it's always good to receive your voice notes on Planet Sport Football Africa. And here's Ebrima Kante in the Gambia. I'm so much sorry for the, the defender. I know it is very difficult as a professional player to, you know, come back through difficult injury. But as he said, it is all about his faith in God and then his family. I personally, if I'm going through a difficult time, I only turn to the Creator and then through the support of my family so that I can overcome those challenges. So Prima agreeing there that uh, it's the help of God and his friends and family that enables him to get through the difficult time. Uh, Suleimani Barry, also in the Gambia, is going through a tough time himself now. Actually, it's hard to explain how I cope with the tough times because I am facing the same feeling now, says Suleimani. It's hard and painful when you see your friends or teammates are playing while you are on the sidelines for a whole two years without kicking a ball. I have the experience right now with my knee and groin adductor injuries. It's very hard when you can't achieve your dream. Well, we are very sorry to hear that, Suleimani, and send you our prayers and very best wishes for your recovery and future career. Emma in Ghana says, for me, getting through tough times is having the belief in God that things will work out for good and having perseverance. Modu GJ Koli in the Gambia also finds strength from his faith. Okay, I have to be patient and believe in Allah and never lose hope, says Modu. David, also in the Gambia, says something similar. Well, I pray to God and hope for the best from him and my family, says David. Emmanuel Harry is in Malawi and he says, I face tough times by restoring my courage and commitment to achieving my intended dream. Don't ever give up, he says. And Sylvester in the Gambia agrees, well, it's all about putting your trust in God and being ready to move forward towards your dream, says Sylvester. And our final comment today comes from Ecclesiastes in Uganda. God is the only answer, says Ecclesiastes. His word, the Holy Bible, provides us encouragement to be true ministers of God. God is our strength. He is a consuming fire, and if we have God with us, no weapon formed against us can prosper. So there you have it, Steve. Many of our listeners this week mention the help they get from friends and family in difficult times. But even more important for many correspondents, it's the strength and help they get from their faith in God that takes them through the difficult times. Well, thanks a lot to Ephraim. That's Ephraim Tagu there. And thanks to all who got in touch. We've got more on this on our website. That's planetsport.tv. In our blog section, there's a look at tips on tackling tough times. It's a very encouraging blog, this one. So you can go to our website, planetsport.tv, and click on our blog section. And uh, you look for tips on tackling tough times. Well, let's go to the English Premier League now, joined by our European football expert, Stuart Weir. This weekend's big game is actually on Monday. That's Liverpool against Arsenal. But let's go back to last weekend. Uh, exciting, high-scoring games. Uh, last Saturday and Sunday gave a record weekend average of 4.88 goals a game. So, Stuart, is this what we can expect uh, all season? Uh, well, Steve, Leeds United are definitely the team to watch if you want goals. They played two games in the Premier League, winning 4-3 and losing 4-3, so lots of entertainment there. 
But I can't give you any explanation as to why we're seeing so many goals. But there is one interesting statistic. In the first two weekends, we had 18 Premier League games, 7 home wins and 11 away wins, raising the issue we discussed last season as to whether home advantage without spectators doesn't actually matter. And on the issue of spectators, I'm really sad to say that because of the increase in COVID in the UK, the government is introducing stricter lockdown measures and has warned football that they may have to continue without spectators for the next six months. Wow, so empty stadiums likely to continue for uh, quite some time. Um, Now, Stuart, last week you told us about the latest handball rule, that if the ball hits the shoulder, it's not handball, but there's still confusion there, and uh, more confusion with the video assistant referees, the VAR as well. I think we're actually in a situation where we no longer know what constitutes handball. We used to talk about deliberate or intentional handball, which was penalised, and accidental handball, which was ignored. But when Florenti scored a crucial goal in the Champions League for Tottenham, putting the ball into the net with his arm, this led to a change in the law. Florenti's goal was allowed to stand because the handball was not intentional. The interpretation of the law then became that a forward could not gain any advantage from an accidental handball. But that led, of course, to the anomalous situation where an accidental handball by a forward was penalised, but the same accidental handball by a defender was not. Then we were told it was all about the position of the arm. If the arm was in a natural position, sometimes called the body silhouette, then it could be hit without a foul. But last weekend, in the Crystal Palace Manchester United game, there was an incident which everyone thought was quite ridiculous. Victor Lindelof was running back towards his own goal when the ball was kicked against his arm. It was clearly not intentional, but because his arm was not in the silhouette position, a penalty was awarded. That just seemed complete nonsense. The silhouette argument may be fine for someone standing, but you cannot run without moving your arms. Another telling factor was that Jordan Ayew, the Palace player nearest to the incident, did not appeal for a penalty, and the referee on the spot did not in real time award a penalty, but he was then instructed by VAR to check his monitor. What followed compounded the farce, or the varse, as people are beginning to call it. De Gea saved Ayew's penalty, Manchester United cleared the ball and Rashford had a shot at goal. Then, literally 17 seconds after the penalty save, VAR informed the referee that De Gea had actually been fractionally in front of the goal line when the penalty was taken and the kick needed to be retaken. Then there was further controversy when Palace decided that Wilfred Zaha, not Jordan Ayew, should take the second penalty leading some people to question whether the laws actually allowed you to change penalty takers on the same penalty. But overall, it's difficult not to conclude that the whole incident has been embarrassing and that VAR and its interpretation is ruining the beautiful game. There was another incident which disturbed me. During the Aston Villa-Sheffield United game, referee Graham Scott gave a straight red card to John Egan for allegedly pulling a player back and denying a goal-scoring opportunity. 
But what disturbs me is the way the decision was made. The assistant referee was much closer to the incident than the referee, and he did not flag for a foul. But the referee did not consult him, did not look at the monitor, but decided simply on the basis of what he could see in real time to give a red card. Then, of course, there was a lengthy VAR process, which decided it was not a clear and obvious error and couldn't be overturned. But I do think it would have been so much better for the referee to consult his assistant rather than apparently ignoring the assistant, knowing that VAR would review it. Yeah, so uh, this controversy just continues. But um, computers might uh, have a part to play here, Stuart. At the recent SoccerX conference, David Dean, former vice-chairman of Arsenal and vice-chairman of the English FA, reported that FIFA is developing an automatic offside system which would use computers rather than assistant referees to make offside decisions. He said that this would revolutionise the offside system and eradicate the kind of marginal calls which have frustrated fans and players and it would be clear for everyone to see. I have to say, Steve, that rather than seeing this as good news, I am wondering if the lunatics have taken over the asylum. Whatever fans want, I don't think it's having computers at a remote location deciding on offside. In August, the Journal of Sports Sciences published research based on studying over 2,000 competitive games in 13 leagues, checking 9,000 VAR decisions. They concluded that the accuracy of match-changing decisions was 98%. Well, to me this just looks nonsense, as it seems to imply that decisions are black and white, right or wrong. And frankly, there were eight decisions last weekend in the Premier League which were overturned by VAR, and I felt that four of them were wrong. The scientists may seem 98% accurate, but I think I and many fans think it's about 50%. Yeah, it's difficult to believe. (laughs) And uh, what else have you got for us, Stuart? Liverpool's new 25 million signing from Bayern Munich, Thiago, made an impressive debut against Chelsea last weekend. Playing in only the second half of the game, he completed 75 passes, more than any Chelsea player managed in the whole game and more than any Premier League game in 45 minutes for 17 years. When Tottenham beat Southampton, Harry Kane set up four goals for Son, becoming the first player ever to create four goals for the same teammate in a Premier League game. And in fact, in the five years Son and Kane have played together, they have created 24 goals for each other. What a partnership. Last weekend, Liverpool goalkeeper Allison saved Chelsea's Jorginho's penalty and it ended a sequence of 16 successive Premier League penalties which had been scored. Crystal Palace's victory over Manchester United means that remarkably the South London team has scored three goals in away games at Liverpool, Manchester United, Manchester City and Arsenal in the past two years. They do seem to like playing the top clubs. Bradford City's Anthony O'Connor and Prodi O'Connor received red cards in the EFL game against Forest Green Rovers. And that's the first time since 1986 that two players with the same surname have been sent off in the same match. And finally, Steve, Phil Jagielka 
has played 385 games for Everton and 298 for Sheffield United. He will soon become the 20th player to play 300 times for two different clubs. One of the previous ones interested me. He played for Tranmere Rovers and Middlesbrough. His name? Steve Vickers. <laughs> yes, my namesake. And back in the 90s, some radio listeners here in Zimbabwe thought that I flew from here to England to play for Middlesbrough every weekend. But I had to tell them that I'm not the same person. I'm a different Steve Vickers to that one. Right before we go, on social media this week, uh, asking, was Gareth Bale a success at Real Madrid? Uh, Sometimes there are different views on what we call success. Uh, Bale has returned to Tottenham on loan from Real Madrid after a generally unhappy time in Spain. He moved for a world record transfer fee in 2013, winning two La Liga titles and four Champions League titles and scoring with a superb overhead kick in the 2018 final. But under coach Zinedine Zidane, he spent a lot of time on the bench, getting paid a huge salary but not playing much before eventually moving back to Spurs. So what do you think? Would you say that Bale was a success at Real Madrid or not and why? You can go to our Facebook page and post a comment there. That's Planet Sport Football Africa. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers and Ephraim Tagu in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.